So what Google found out was the key factor of high-performing teams is psychological safety. That was my guest, Mehmet Baha, known as Baha to his friends. He's an expert in psychological safety, and I wanted to bring him on the podcast to share some secrets of high-performing teams. Hi, I'm Nils Davis, and you're listening to episode 109 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. In this episode, psychological safety, what it is, why it's important, and how to get it. You can find the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 109, where you can comment, like, rate, subscribe, and do all the things, and find all the links Baha and I mentioned in the episode. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, I did, and come away with some good ideas for how to think about and promote psychological safety in your own team and work situation. Baha, welcome to the Secrets of Product Management podcast. I would love for you to just tell us what is psychological safety and why is it important? Yeah, thank you for the invitation, Niels. It's my pleasure to go on this podcast. Psychological safety, based on the research by Amy Atkinson, she's a prof at Harvard Business School. Psychological safety is a work environment where employees feel free to express their questions, concerns, ideas, and mistakes. This is very important, let me repeat it. Psychological safety is a work environment where employees feel free to express their questions, concerns, ideas, and mistakes. And psychological safety is one of the key factors of high-performing teams. And so what I'm getting is they feel free to express, for example, their mistakes and not be punished for that. Exactly. And it's important because high-performing teams have psychological safety. Is that the bottom line? Correct. So Google in 2000, around 2013, they did a study. It's called Project Aristotle. And basically, different teams at Google, HR, data teams, trying to find answers to the question, what makes the most successful teams? What are the characteristics of high-performing teams? Mm -hmm. So they started reading the literature, observing teams, user groups. They, had, they gathered a lot of data. First of all, their assumption was they were looking at this structure of the teams, specifically on employees. So what's the educational background of employees? What's the gender composition? What motivates team members, etc.? Later, they realized that what is even more important than the individual characteristics is the work environment. So they came up with few factors which affect high-performing teams, like clarity of the goals, sense of purpose. And then at one point, the team at Google got stuck. Again, they went back to the academic um, papers and they came across there the research paper from A. Mattinson about mm -hmm. psychological safety. So what Google found out was the key factor of high-performing teams is psychological safety. So you can have star performance performers in your team, star employees, very high individually good performances, in case those star performance cannot communicate well with one another, do not share feedback constructively, in case the team's environment doesn't include trust, then the performance of that team is not at the highest level. What is even more important is maybe you can have less number of star performers, but in case there is a work environment where employees trust each other. They feel safe to express their questions, concerns, ideas, and mistakes. 
this team is more likely to be a high-performing team. So psychological safety is a key aspect of uh, this high performance. That's amazing. So the individual skills and talents are less important really than the team dynamic in a sense. Yeah. The ability of the team to essentially be trustworthy and protective of one another. Absolutely. So tell me about how you got into psychological safety. What's your background and how did you get into this place where you're doing consulting and training on psychological safety and so on? Yeah. So my background around 17 years ago, I got a scholarship from Fulbright and I did my master's in the US on the topic of conflict resolution. Then I started working around the world. I was one of the first employees of Facebook at Europe. It was a great experience. I started working at Facebook in 2009. At that time, it was the exponential growth of Facebook, seeing how the company contributes to psychological safety in the workplace, contributing to that. And then after that, I started working at a German tech company. I was working directly with the CEO. And I was in charge of expanding sales in Latin America, Spain, and India. By the way, this German company does not exist anymore. It was acquired by Apple. So that's my background. In my background, there was always an aspect of training as well. And around 2015, 16, I founded my own training and consulting company in, in Germany, Berlin. So I provide worldwide from Washington, D.C. to Dubai, Singapore, Amsterdam, Berlin, learning sessions, talks on the topics of, on the topic of psychological safety, resilience, and agility. This topic, psychological safety, was always part of my trainings for the last six years. And it was part of collaborative leadership training that I was providing at that time. And recently, especially with pandemic, psychological safety is at the forefront of what I do. I provide learning sessions, customized online uh, courses on the topic, um, talks. I also already created one course on, on the audio. It's audio course as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe due to pandemic as well, leaders, managers are realizing more the importance of psychological safety. And of course, the topic is very popular as well. And for the last two, three, three years, it's one of my main focuses. Interesting. So it's not the only thing you do, but it has turned into one of the major parts of your practice. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear about a, one of the, a transformation that one of your clients has gone through or something like that. Yeah. I can respond that at two levels, organizational level and personal level. Starting with the personal level, based on the feedback that I get from participants after learning sessions, I've done learning sessions where there were participants from the US, Europe, Asia as well. So one of the big insights that they get is about mistakes. So there is a lot of talk about how to deal with mistakes. Certain experts say, celebrate all the mistakes you make. <laughs> so um, <laughs> there is a lot of confusion in the minds of uh, business people. So there are, I can explain you these mistake types and then connect it to how it leads to participants having transformation. Yeah. So there are basically four mistake types. And based on these mistake types, we can deal effectively with mistakes. Few years ago, I was in Spain, Barcelona, and there was an international HR conference. I gave a talk. I sat back and then one lady from Google 
Switzerland, she took the stage. She talked about the innovative culture at Google and how they make mistakes, learn from them and improve. It was an inspiring talk. Round of applause for her. And then one gentleman from one of the world's biggest telecom companies, he took the stage and he said, you know, our company, we try to do everything correctly. And really, I don't understand why people feel proud of making mistakes. We shouldn't make mistakes. <laughs> And at that point, I didn't know how to react. How can this be possible? Actually, this shows the confusion in the minds of business professionals. First of all, the first mistake type is unacceptable mistakes. So in case we work at a factory, mm -hmm. we are given all the training, all the resources, all the support, all the help to wear a safety helmet. And despite all this, we do not wear a safety helmet and we have an injury. Mm -hmm. This is an unacceptable mistake. Or let's imagine we work at a bank and we have access to a large amount of data. We get this data and we, we sell it to a third party. Right. This is gross misconduct. In such cases, unacceptable mistakes, we can warn employees or sanction them. That's actually what the uh, gentleman from the telecom company was talking about. Sure. So unacceptable mistakes. Second mistake type is improvable mistakes. Let's say we have a product or service. The product or service is not yet ready, but we launch it to certain customers to get their feedback. Mm -hmm. The idea here is to learn the shortcomings of the product or service so that we can improve it. Regarding improvable mistakes, we need to allow them. Third mistake type is complex mistakes. They are caused by, in a known context, by unknown factors. A typical example is in 1990s, there was a super storm in New York and one of the New York metro stations was flooded. Mm -hmm. It's a typical case of complex mistakes. For such mistakes, we need to analyze them systematically to prevent them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the fourth mistake type is intelligent mistakes. It's about path-breaking new product that we launch into the market. It's like invention almost. And it's not as successful as we expect but we gather insights from the market. So the product is not that successful, but we gain really valuable insights. Mm -hmm. For such mistakes, we need to celebrate people who make such mistakes. So normally we as leaders or managers, we tend to, some of us, automatically punish people who make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. first point, do not automatically punish people who make mistakes. Second, make sure that unacceptable mistakes do not happen in the first place. And in case they happen, they should happen very rarely. Right. And third insight, allow improvable, complex, and intelligent mistakes. And lastly, celebrate only intelligent uh, mistakes. Again, intelligent mistakes do not happen very often uh, as well. So celebrate intelligent mistakes. So participants learning these different mistake types Mm -hmm. In many cases, they later write to me saying, it was an eye-opener for me. Now, I even take these mistake types to my team. We talk about them. And now we deal more constructively with mistakes in our team and department. So this is one of the examples of transformation at a personal level. Mm -hmm. And at an organizational level, currently I have one client. It's a big uh, company. And recently I created for them a 
customized online course on psychological safety. It's for the leaders. So they learn concepts and they put them in practice. The idea is to enable behavior change. So the target is for all managers in this company to take this training, put what they learn in practice. It's very interactive. Mm -hmm. And then in between, we are going to have different coaching sessions and webinars to support the learning process. So we are in the beginning phase of, of this um, training with the, with the company. But the idea is to even move, make little bit of positive change in the company in terms of how they share feedback with one another, how they deal with mistakes, and how they can proactively ask opinions and ideas from their employees. Are they already seeing some results from this since you've, you've started it? We just, for this organizational level, it says very recently started. So it's very new. Okay. And at this case, we don't have any um, reliable data. <laughs> It'll be great to hear once that course has completed or has moved further along. Yeah, I think within the next um, six to 10 months at least. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You recently posted on LinkedIn a story about meeting with Marcus Buckingham and why that was so important to you. And maybe you can share a little bit about Marcus Buckingham. And I know he's related to the Clifton Strengths, which is something mm -hmm. I've talked about on this show, and how you see strengths. And I know that it's actually part of your practice as well as to talk about mm -hmm. strengths and resilience and how that plays into psychological safety or to effective teams in particular. So your question has two parts and why I posted about Marcus Buckingham yeah. and the second aspect is strengths and psychological safety. Before COVID, I used to go to Dubai. There is a very prestigious HR conference called HR Summit and Expo in November every year. And they invite world's leading management thinkers, experts. There I met Daniel Pink and a conversation with him. Oh, cool. And the next year I met uh, Marcus Buckingham. And normally I'm not a big fan of, you know, I don't uh, big fan of waiting in the line, long line to get an autograph from an author. Normally I don't do that. But in this case, in the case of Marcus Buckingham, I don't know why I did. I stayed in the line, I waited a long time, and then um, he, he gave me an autograph, he signed the book. And then we had a conversation there. What really struck me about Marcus Buckingham is he took the time to talk with me. We talked maybe five, six minutes mm -hmm. about teams, organizational change. We had a common uh, experience at one company that I previously worked at. Um, mm -hmm. He, he knows uh, the CEO and COO of that company. This company is a global company based in um, California, the Silicon Valley. So um, what really drew my attention was his focus. It was a very loud uh, exhibition hall, very focused, sharing his ideas, listening to me as well. He's a very humble person. It was an inspiring experience for me to talk with him because it was the same with Daniel Pink when I met Daniel Pink. Both Daniel Pink and Marcus Buckingham, they write and talk about motivation, employee engagement, strengths. And it's not just the topics that they talk about. These are the topics that they put in practice. So mm -hmm. they really walk the talk. And you notice that the way they talk with you, the way they explain concepts. So it was an inspiring experience for me. 
And I remember in Dubai when he was giving a talk, he was, I think that was in 2019, just before COVID. He was explaining his new um, research on employee engagement. And he said that based on the data, United Arab Emirates is the only country with the highest rate of employee engagement. Really? And one person in the audience said, what explains that? And then he said, to be honest, I don't know the answer. We are, we are you know, I don't have the complete data, but I'm happy to investigate further and let you know. So he shows this humility as well. Although he's leading expert on the topic, he can openly say, I don't know this, but I can explain. Yeah, I learned a lot watching him, interacting with him. And the second aspect of your question, strengths and psychological safety. I see strengths related to psychological safety in two ways. One way is feedback. So the way we share feedback plays a crucial role in creating psychological safety. Mm-hmm. You can share a feedback like, you are stupid, you know, you did such a mistake, you know, even a monkey can do better. We damage psychological safety totally. Really? That That's not good? <laughs> <laughs> we are not laughing, but previously I worked at one company and uh, the manager was giving such feedback. Mm-hmm. And people were leaving the room uh, crying. So, and there is another way that we can give feedback, which can maintain psychological safety and in the second way we can use strengths let's say an employee who's normally good at communication skills you notice that this employee had an argument this employee works in customer service team it's Mm -hmm. just an example and this employee had an argument with one customer right when we talk with that employee we can give feedback in a way that maintains psychological safety we can say to this employee Look, Martin or um, Jessica, whatever, your strength is in communication. You have great in communication, especially in this and that aspect. aspect. And yesterday, I noticed you at two o'clock in the bank while talking with the customer. And then you, I noticed that your, uh, the level of your voice went up. So it's better uh, for us, you know, it's good for us as company to have, you know, high standards in the way we deal with customers. You have these strengths, communication skills. Please use that strength so that, you know, next time in such situations, you can better manage the customer's issues, for instance. Mm -hmm. So once we give feedback, we use the strengths of the employee and connect that even in a constructive negative feedback um, to show to the employee that, you know, using their strengths, of course, in relevant cases, they can uh, um, manage the situation. So strengths, feedback we you connect feedback to the strengths of the employees and then share that in a way that maintains mm-hmm. psychological safety and the second aspect of strengths and psychological safety is related to inclusion so inclusion is a key component of psychological safety by inclusion we mean we try to create sense of belonging in the team so mm-hmm. to create that sense of belonging and inclusion we as leaders, managers, product managers, we, we can ask in certain cases, we can involve employees in the decision-making. Mm-hmm. We can ask their opinions and the more they share their opinions and more we can involve them, then they feel more connected to, uh, to the project as well. So in case we have employees, team members who have 
tasks related to or projects or tasks related to their strengths. And once we try to include them, since they, they're working on their strengths, team members are more likely to share their ideas with us. And um, this can contribute to creating inclusion and also strengthening sense of belonging. So make sure to have uh, employees working in projects which tie to their strengths. Because that makes them more likely to contribute, share ideas, be contributors into the conversation. That's very interesting. That makes sense to me. If, 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 if I have to do something that I'm not, that I don't have a strength for, then I'm likely to just feel bad about it the whole time and not want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's one of my strengths, I'm probably excited about it and I want to share my insights or, or give my perspective on something. You explained beautifully. <laughs> well, one of my strengths is um, positivity. And so I always try to put a positive spin on things too. So nice. <laughs> and adaptability. Somebody can give me information and I can make use of it immediately. So cool. Yeah. Those are, those are two, they're two fun strengths. They're good for product managers, I think. So one of the things I wrote an article about, uh, or did a podcast episode about psychological safety. And one of the things that I talked about a little bit, and I don't know if, if you have any insights on this as product managers, obviously we work with a team, which is not our team, right? It, mm -hmm. They don't work for us. So we have influence on them, but we don't manage them, for example. And so I talked a little bit about, you know, some techniques for helping improve psychological safety on the team. But I was also thinking about us product managers as individuals, right? We're always mm -hmm. in the edge of uncertainty in the world. We tend to be individual contributors, even though we, there's potentially a team of product managers. We don't work with the other product managers. We only work, we work pretty much as a single person. Is there any kind of a sense of psychological safety of an individual? You know, a lot of self-improvement and self-help books mm -hmm. talk about, you don't do negative talk about yourself and things like that. Does that, have you thought about that at all? I'm just curious. Yeah. Psychological safety at a personal level, not as a team level. Actually, this concept, psychology, I will start with the concept, the history, and then come back to your question. This uh -huh. concept was created in 1960s by Edgar China and Edward Bennis, and they looked at psychological safety in a learning environment in 1960. Mm -hmm. Around 1990s, Amy Atkinson analyzed this topic, psychological safety at a team level. Uh -huh. So your question is about a personal level. I remember reading a book. Now the name doesn't come to my mind. And in this book, they were basically talking about psychological safety at a personal level. Interesting. In this book, what they talk about at a personal level is different people have different styles. They have different needs. For example, they have different styles, needs, or personalities. Let's say your style is very direct and open communication. And for you, it's important to even confront certain things. Mm -hmm. That's your style, let's imagine. And my style is indirect. Right. I try to, you know, save face. I try not to say no. I try to please everyone as much as possible, although I don't feel comfortable. So one side is direct and the other one is indirect. And let's say we have an interaction. We work on a project or mm -hmm. we are in the same product team. And then the way you respond to me 
I can perceive it in a way that damages um, psychology, my own safety, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I might feel um, threatened. So in this book, at a personal level, psychological safety, they talk about triggers. Maybe the one sentence that they that you use, mm -hmm. direct, I perceive it as threatening. It's a trigger for me. Then my own psychological safety is under threat. Then I feel um, fearful. I feel attacked. Mm -hmm. And then next time, you know, I try maybe not to talk with you. So at a personal level, it can it it can it can also be considered at a personal level with triggers, different personalities, how they affect us, and what we feel. Uh, about it so did this book also give advice on how to handle a trigger like that or yeah in this book as far as i remember uh, the main point is different people have different needs styles personalities let's say you as Niels, you like new ideas you try you like trying new stuff doing experiments this is one profile mm -hmm. and the other profile is risk averse yeah another person prefers to play safe so in case you are a manager, team leader, and you work on a product, let's say, which is innovative. Mm -hmm. So you try to collaborate with those profiles who like trying new stuff and not with the other profiles who are risk averse. Right. Or I, it's, I should probably try to figure out what my colleagues' preferred styles are and behave in that way or in a way that is better aligned with them. Exactly. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Cool. Otherwise, according to the book, there is a clash, and then the psychological safety at a personal level is um, can be damaged. Yes, and I can see how that would come up in the context of education, because in a classroom, you've got a lot of different people. They all are going to be learning in different ways, potentially. I know that the, the seven ways of learning isn't necessarily fully supported by the research, but but people are individuals, and so they're going to have a different perspective on things understanding that that each person needs safety in their own self in order to be effectively educated i think makes a lot of sense yeah so this has been really interesting Baha. i love talking about psychological safety and and you have a lot of great stories and insights on this if people want to learn more about your work i know you have a book maybe you can talk a little bit about the playbook for engaged employees which is your book and how would they learn more about you in addition yeah you can connect with me on linkedin if mm -hmm. you write mehmet baha you can find me there another option is you can visit solution folder solutionfolder.com slash free dash resources on that page you can um, get access to videos on psychological safety different aspects of psychological safety and each video includes an actionable insight. So it's a free resource. The second part of your question was about my book, I think. So you you have a new book. It came yes. out around a year ago, I think. Correct. Tell me a little bit about the, the playbook for engaged employees. So the book was released last year in April. As the name suggests, it's a playbook. So it's the title is Playbook for Engaged Employees. It's called Playbook because it's, the book is very practical. It includes storytelling. Mm -hmm. concepts and in the end questions to answer it has three sections leadership teamwork learning and psychological safety and agility writing a book was always my dream 
but I didn't plan writing this book. It was not planned. <laughs> so um, I was before COVID. I was traveling around the world. I was doing workshops in the US, Singapore, Austria, Dubai, different countries. And every time I go to a different country or I have a different experience, like meeting with Marcus Buckingham or Daniel Pink and reading their books as well. I was writing articles and I was sharing these articles on the internet. Mm -hmm. And one of my articles drew the attention of a prestigious blog in, in, in Dubai. This is a leading blog for business professionals in the region, Middle East. Mm -hmm. The editor got in touch with me and asked me to regularly write articles. I was writing those articles and we were getting really good feedback, not only from Middle East, but from Europe, Asia, North America. And then suddenly the pandemic uh, came <laughs> and then this blog said, sorry, we will not be able to continue. We are going to make a change in this strategy. And I had so many articles which were already published for the last four or five years writing articles. And then I said, okay, I have so many articles now with me. I already got positive feedback from people. I can write more articles, edit this, put them in a book format, by the way, my father helped me as well. He has almost a native level English and my mm -hmm. father. So he did the uh, copy editing and then the book cover, everything. And then I, I launched the book uh, last year. It's on Amazon. So it's on Kindle as well, as well as soft copy. And so far it was already purchased in the US, Canada, Australia, Switzerland, Germany, UK. To be honest, I got more attention interest and what I expected. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, congratulations on that. That sounds Thank very you. similar to this journey of my book, which started as blog posts as ah. well. So not as right. formal as articles on a HR site, but on my own site. But well, congratulations on the book. I know it's a big effort to even to take existing writing and turn it into a book is a big yes. effort. Yeah. Yes. A lot of uh, effort to write. And you mentioned storytelling as something as a component of this book. Mm -hmm. And I how does storytelling fit in? It's another topic that I talk about a lot on the podcast. So maybe if you have a couple more minutes to talk about storytelling and how it ties into this whole thing. Yeah, that's a nice question. It's the first time that someone asks me this question. And I think it shows your um, out-of-the-box approach as well. <laughs> storytelling and psychological safety. One example comes to my mind about storytelling and uh, psychological safety. So storytelling is like giving a message, sharing a story. And recently I saw it on LinkedIn. I am not give the name of this company. It's a global fast moving consumer good company. And this company has one product, which is very famous in the world. It's like it's a snack, it's snacks. And then they put on this product, Happy Ramadan, just to attract mm -hmm. uh, Muslim mm -hmm. uh, consumers. Ramadan, as you know, is a religious Muslim holiday. And on the product is, is written, Happy Ramadan. By the way, the product is bacon. So it's a snack <laughs> with a bacon. That seems odd. Yeah. So you see here, it's like, it's a storytelling sort of, you know, um, you connect the product to, to um, the religious holiday to attract customers. And when we tell stories, in order to maintain psychological safety, we need to take into account cultural and different religious elements as well, so that our stories, our messages 
come across in, in the best way possible. Another aspect related, related to psychological safety and storytelling is about the world. So inclu inclusion and sense of belonging is our key aspects in psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Let's say we make a presentation, we give a talk, and all the time in the talk we say guys instead right. of folks, everyone. So if we, don't, we do not use an inclusive language, then it can affect the psychological safety of the group uh, that we are presenting, that sure. we are telling stories. And the third aspect, again, related to storytelling and psychological safety is, let's say we make a presentation to an international group of professionals. And in our stories, we use very local examples. I don't know, American football, but the audience is from different continents and they have no idea about this. So. We also need to take into account the cultural, religious, and gender factors and try to have as inclusive language as possible when we tell stories. I always think of it in terms of, uh, I simplify it when I talk about storytelling and presenting is that you want, you're managing your audience's subconscious, a lot of what you're trying to do during presentations. And you don't want to give them their subconscious something that feels, that makes it feel like you might be an enemy or a danger or that, that it might get confused. That's the other thing. The subconscious can be confused, right? So if I talk about American football to an audience that includes a bunch of Europeans, they're going to be confused if I had used technical terms about football, about American football. And at that point, I can't convince them of anything because they're confused and they don't trust me anymore. I, I sort of think of it that way. Yeah. Great point. It, it's a simplification. And the same way, if I, if I'm speaking to a, a, a group that's mixed genders and I just talk about men uh, or you guys, as you say, half the audience at that point is saying, wait, this is not for me. This person doesn't know me. And you want to avoid that because then you lose them. It doesn't take much for the subconscious to turn against you. Yes, <laughs> the subconscious absolutely. of your audience. So I think of it in, that, in those terms. Yeah, very interesting. The book, Playbook for Engaged Employees, the site, solutionfolder.com. I will put the links to all of these, all of this information into the show notes and people will hopefully be reaching out to you. Again, I'll put your LinkedIn connection in as well. Baha, it's been really fun having you on. I really enjoy your insights about all the things you talked about, psychological safety and all the other topics. Any last words? It was my pleasure, Niels. Psychological safety, in many cases, it's seen as an abstract uh, topic the idea here is to make it as visible, as much practical, actionable um, concept as possible so that, you know, we can, we can take steps to contribute to creating psychological safety. I think we can do this once we have awareness, interest, and knowledge, of course, to do it. Thanks again to Mehmet Baha for sharing his insights about psychological safety. I thought the taxonomy about mistakes was particularly interesting, knowing that there are four types of mistakes in each type requires a different response, that was completely new to me. I think it's kind of like the old saying about Eskimos in the far north having 20 different words for snow. As you get higher resolution on a situation, it gives you more tools for managing the situation effectively, whether it's mistakes or snow. You can visit the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 109 for links to the resources that Baja mentioned in the interview, including his book, A Playbook for Engaged Employees, his website, solutionfolder.com, and the free resources he has there, and his LinkedIn profile. 
on that show notes page, you can also leave a comment, rate the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback on the episode and the show in general, and in particular, if there are any topics you'd like me to cover or people I should interview. Thanks for joining me on this episode. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.